the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what the Bible says about hearing God. And what will start to happen if you start to apply these things, you're going to start to have some interesting things happen. You're going to be looking in your Bible, and words that maybe you've seen a bunch of times before, every once in a while there's going to be a, a phrase or a verse or a word that jumps off the page. And you're going to start to wonder, wait a minute, is, is this for me? Is, is God speaking to me through this? And if you begin to apply these, these principles we've been looking at in the scriptures, you're going to go through your day and someone's going to come up to you and they're going to say, this is going to sound crazy, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you this. And when they tell you the this, once in a while, something inside's going to go, either how did they know that or was that God speaking through that person? And, and if you apply these, these things we've been talking about, um, you're going to go through your day and you're going to see something. And there's going to be something inside that resonates and you're going to say, was that a sign? Could that have been a sign from God? And, and, and you're going to go through your day and, 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 and you'll have this thing. Um, Christians, we, we refer to them sometimes as leadings or promptings of the Holy Spirit. And, and you'll go through your day and, and something will, will be impressed upon your heart or your mind and you'll go, I wonder if God's trying to tell me something. And, and as those things start to happen, there's, there's a question that I hope you're asking, and that question is, is this from God? And, and, and how do I know if it is? And how do I know if it's not? I mean, those are important questions. Because nobody wants to be that guy or that girl, in a lot of ways. But when it comes to hearing God, you don't want to be that guy or that girl. Uh, you don't want to be that, that person that you see in the extreme situations on, on the news where someone takes an ax to their family and, oh, God told me to do this. You ever seen those kind of articles? You've seen those kind of news stories? Someone does something heinous and they say, God told me to do this. You know, or, or you, on a less, much less extreme, you, you don't want to be that, that, that person who does something completely foolish, completely irresponsible on a whim because you say, well, God told me to do that. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that girl. Where you're doing foolish things that God never told you to do. And you certainly don't want to be a person who misuses the phrase God told me in a manipulative sense or in a flippant sense. Or in a, and I see nods all over the place. This one resonates with me too because I've seen that. You know, where, where someone uses it to abuse their position of authority. Someone uses it to try to manipulate a situation. Or someone just uses it flippantly. And it can cause somebody who receives it and is trying to be sincere to go a wrong direction. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that girl. So if we don't want to be that guy, that girl, but, but I would hope you want to hear from God, how do you vet the voices? How, how, do you, how do you discern whether or not what you're hearing or what you're seeing is really from God or if it's not? Now, there will always be a sense of, and I hope you have this, I hope you maintain a sense of humility because there will always be a, a, a sense where you could be wrong. Absolutely. You should always have that kind of humility. But what I want to do today real quickly is give you five concrete things that are very reliable. If you apply these five, what I call discernment disciplines, you can with pretty good certainty discern whether or not something is from God or whether it's not. Let's dive right into them. There's a place to write this uh, in your notes. I'd encourage you to do so. And the first one is this. Discernment discipline number one, I put it first because it's the most foundational. It's this uh, Commit to living a God-honoring life. Commit to living a God-honoring life. I feel so strongly about this one that I would say this. If you're not doing that, 
The rest aren't going to be helpful. This one is that important. The idea of committing to say, God, I'm going to live a God-honoring life. I want to live a God-honoring life. That is not me saying, have a God-honoring life all the time. None of us do. But the idea of, of, of having this willingness to say, God, I will do what you asked me to do. I want to know what you would have me to do. My life is yours for your plans and purposes. That's where it all starts. Here's a, here's a great reminder out of Scripture. This comes from a, a passage, 2 Chronicles 33. Um, I like this one because this is how it often starts, getting into trouble or not hearing God. Uh, it often starts here. The Lord spoke to this particular king and his people, but they what? What does the Bible say? They paid no attention. So often it starts there. So often it starts there with just not being attentive, without being, being proactive, without saying, God, this is, I'm, I'm seeking after what you would have me to do. I want to do what you have me to do. I'm just not listening. We see examples of that all the time, and, and they end up bad. When we ignore what God says by ignoring our conscience or ignoring the Bible or ignoring the other ways where God communicates, the Bible says this can lead to ears that don't hear, it can lead to eyes that don't see, and it can lead to the hard heart, which we sang about, talked about earlier. Those things can happen simply by not listening. I love how uh, speaker, author Leanne Payne puts it. She says this, When we fail to acknowledge sin as sin, our listening to God will become tainted as a result. Let me hit pause for a second there. Your listening will always be tainted. We live in a fallen world. But the more you're closing yourself off to what God would have you to do, the more tainted it's going to be. Look at this. She says, and she's right on. She says, deliberate sin. It erects a barrier between God and ourselves, breaking communication with him. Now, let me talk real quickly about deliberate sin. I think everyone in this room, whether you're a believer or not, would, would say there's such a thing as deliberate sin where you know what's wrong and you do it anyway. We may disagree on the spiritual consequences of that, but I think everyone in this room knows there's a sense in which when you, you know something is wrong, you do it anyway. That's, that's an act of deliberate sin, deliberate transgression. Now, did you know, though, there's other forms of deliberate sin? It's interesting. I, I was looking through the scriptures, and I came across Leviticus 4.2. That verse implies that you can sin unintentionally. Sin isn't just a deliberate act of transgression. You can sin unintentionally. Leviticus 4.2. James 4.17 says, If you know what's right, you fail to do it. That's sin. Deliberate sin can, I know what I'm supposed to do, I'm not doing it. That can be deliberate sin. Romans 14, 23 says, whatever, hear these words, whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Do you see why, this, this, why we're starting with this one? Commit to a God-honoring life because as we, if we don't commit to a God-honoring life, we're, we're ignoring these voices, we're not pursuing these things, we're not trying to listen to God, and as a result, we can be engaging unintentionally in deliberate sin. As oxymoronic as that sounds. Here, listen to this. What, she continues with this quote. She says, Sin, it hardens the heart, and your very heart becomes deceitful. Such a heart is always going to hear amiss. When sin is not recognized for what it is, as in today's psychological reductionism, calling sin by something else, some other name, it always grows. It destroys the capacity to hear God aright. And it's carnal wisdom that is the result. Living a God-honoring life, is, is, it's foundational. If you want to hear from God, that's where it starts. Saying to God, God, I, I want my mind to be your mind. I want my heart to be my, your heart. I want my actions to be your actions. That's why there's a place to write this down in your notes, and I would encourage you to do this. If you want to hear from God, and I would imagine you do, 
here, here's, here's a question for you to, to wrestle with. Are you committed to seeking God's will and doing what he asks you to do? It all starts there. Just, just take a moment, even before we go on, just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, am I doing what you would have me to do? Am I seeking you? Might even go a step further and say, Holy Spirit, is there a specific area where I am deliberately defying you? I know what's right, but I'm not doing it. If you want to hear from God, and again, I hope you do, this is the first step. It's a discipline of discernment to hearing God's voice. We could say a lot more of that, but for the sake of time, let's keep rolling here. Number two, a second discipline um, after committing to living a God-honoring life is applying biblical principles. Applying biblical principles. Here's a, here's a passage I, I just came across. I've been reading in, in the mornings. I've been reading right now through Ezra, the book of Ezra. And, and I just throw this one up because this is just, I mean, this was a Thursday. I was working on this in part on Thursday, and I saw this verse on Thursday. If I would have been working on this on Friday, I probably would have found another verse further on. It, this is, it, it's all over the scriptures, the connection between living a God-honoring life and, 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 and studying and engaging the scriptures and, and hearing from God. A good, the good hand of God was on him, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. The discipline here we're talking about is a personal engagement with the scriptures. Personal engagement with the scriptures. There's a direct relationship between our ability to discern God's voice and our personal engagement of the holy scriptures. I want to put a quote up on the screen by a guy named Frederick, Frederick Meyer. Um, what's interesting about Frederick Meyer, I've been quoting some other spiritual gurus like Dallas Willard, Leanne Payne. They quote this guy. So I would encourage you to pay attention here. Some of the more modern uh, spiritual gurus when it comes to hearing God's voice, they look to this guy for wisdom. And here's what he says about the connection between scripture and hearing. The written word, meaning the Bible, it is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed, if the attention is fixed. Now, let's go back to how I worded this discipline because it's very, very important. When I used to teach, in fact, I had some of you in youth group. When I used to teach about this, about hearing God, I used to say, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Here's why I don't phrase that anymore. Here's why now I say, what are, bibli what are the biblical principles? Because many of you know this. If you just, you can go to the Bible, you can find something that it says, and if you take it out of context, you can think it says something that it doesn't say. Isn't that true? I mean, people used to use the Bible and still do today to, to justify all kinds of things that are not godly. I think about slavery. You can open up the Bible, you can find a passage that says, uh, slaves, obey your masters. Does the Bible support slavery as we understand slavery? No, it doesn't. But yet people have used and continue to use the Bible to support things like that. I had, had, had a guy come up to me and, and he was using the Bible to support the fact he was married. He's in the United States, married in the United States. He was using the Bible to support the idea of him taking on a second wife at the same time. And, 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 and he was using the Bible. Well, when you take passages out of context, when you don't apply biblical principles, you can justify things that the Bible says aren't justifiable. Commit to living. Are you applying these biblical principles principles. Are you applying biblical principles? Uh, Dallas Willard, he, he summarizes this discipline well when he writes this. He says, the content of a word that is truly from God. So one of the ways you know, is this from God? This thing I'm hearing, this sign I'm seeing, this, this thing that people are saying, 
The content of this word, if it's truly from God, it is always going to conform to and always be consistent with the truths about God's nature and kingdom that are clear in the Bible. Any content, any claim that does not conform to biblical content, it's not a word from God. Biblical principles place an ironclad restriction on what content can come with God's voice. God's not going to tell you something that violates biblical principles. And it's been so hard over the years to, to see folks who made mistakes that blew up their family and they said, well, God told me to do this. Or people who drained their bank accounts because they said, well, God told me I was supposed to pursue this. Or people who gave up their educations because they said, well, God's calling me to do this when God wasn't telling them to do that. So, again, before we move on, briefly, take a look at the question I have here in your notes. Worded very specifically, when are you engaging the Bible? When are you engaging the Bible personally? If you want to hear God's voice, and I hope you do, when are you personally going into the scriptures, even if it's for a short period of time each day, when are you going in and reading and reflecting on God's word so that these principles are becoming just part of, of, of the fabric of your life. All right, number three. Again, we can spend more time on any one of these, but for the sake of time, let's keep going. Discernment disciplines. Number one, commit to living a God-earning life. Number two, apply biblical principles. And number three, every word here is important. Seek wisdom from mature, honest, Christ-like people. So important to get something from the outside to get, to get other people speaking in your life. And every word on here is important. It should be something that you're seeking, not just waiting for someone to tell you. Seek it out. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. And this might look redundant here from mature, honest, Christ-like people. My hope is that if you're Christ-like, you're mature and you're honest. You know? but, but a lot of times, people go to advice from folks, and they, you know, folks that would check the Christian box, and they get such horrible advice. Horrible advice. Um, sometimes it's just because the person's not mature. And they say, oh yeah, God wants you to be happy all the time, so whatever feels like it'll bring you the most happiness, do that. Horrible advice. Horrible advice. Right? And so you want to have someone that has a mature faith. Okay, well, what brings you true joy? Well, true joy is going to come with doing the right things. That's where true joy is going to come. So you want to find people who are mature in, in, their, in their faith. Mature in their faith. And then the whole idea of being honest. There are some people who are just way too nice to be helpful. Isn't that true? Some people are way too nice to be helpful. And, and they, you know, a lot of people believe, well, if I say something that's the truth, it might hurt their feelings or, or it might disappoint them. And you need to find some people in your life who care enough about you to tell you the truth. Because there's a whole lot of people who, you know, would check the Christian box, but then you come to them for wisdom and they'll tell you what they think you want to hear. And that's not helpful. What's helpful if you're seeking wisdom is to get wise counsel from wise people. So are you finding wisdom from mature people, from honest people, people who love you enough to tell you the truth? And then this idea of Christ-like. Christ-like. Do you notice I didn't say find religious people? And this one, you can say amen if you believe in this statement. How many of you would agree? How many of you would agree that getting which, seeking advice from people who are religious but not Christ-like is a very bad idea. 
Amen? All right, amen. It is a very bad idea. People who are religious but not Christ-like, that is, that is destructive. Destructive. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to this one. Uh, this is in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, uh, starting with verse 13. Um, it's a passage that I'd never really thought of when I was thinking about wisdom before, but it was one of those where I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I felt like I was supposed to, to, to look here. Now, let me quickly say, as, as those of you who have Bibles are turning there, uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, we always keep a stack of them there at the at welcome table. We would encourage you to not just take it and use it for the service. Take it as a gift to you. We would love for you to have that free of charge. Just, just take, take one home any, any Sunday. We'd love for you to have God's Word. All right. Matthew uh, chapter 23, starting with verse 13, it says this. Um, and this, these are the words of Jesus. It's, it's a small portion of a much larger uh, uh, discussion. But here we go, zero in on verse 13. Woe to you! Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You hypocrites! And scribes and Pharisees are a, a certain type of religious, religious folks. Uh, so, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You never enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single convert, and when they become a convert, you make them twice as much a child of, say it with me, hell as yourselves. Real quickly, a little context here. Uh, one of my sources that I was looking at when I was trying to dig into this verse and, and, and try to figure out why I believe God was leading us there, one of the sources said this is um, similar to something Jesus does earlier in Matthew. In, in chapter 5, there's what's called the Beatitudes. Blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. And they said this was actually a form of prayer uh, that some early prophets would use. Blessed be, blessed be. They also said that there's the woe to you prayer that they would sometimes use. Woe to you, woe to you. And this comes into a section of woe to you, woe to you. That's one of the reasons I had you open up to it. You'll see on the, on the front side of it, back side of it, woe to you, woe to you. So this is, there's the prayer of blessing. There's the prayer of, prayer of cursing. And this is one of these prayer of cursings. Woe to you, you religious folks who aren't getting it. And among other things, one of the reasons why woe to them is they're saying God is saying things that God really isn't saying. Or the way they're presenting it isn't telling the whole truth. And as a result, these people are hearing what, what is supposed to be wisdom from God, but it's putting it on a path towards hell instead of a path towards becoming more like Christ. And it's interesting even here. We have in, in our Bibles, English Bibles, most of them, it's translated as hell. Do any of your Bibles have it translated as Gehenna? Okay, the, the, the Greek word used there is a word for a real place, Gehenna. Gehenna is a real location. It, um, at the time, it was right outside the city gates to the south of Jerusalem, the holy city. And so they're, they're literally would have read, uh, make you twice as much a child of Gehenna as yourselves. Now listen to some, some things about Gehenna. In the Old Testament, Gehenna was a site of idol worship, idol worship. And child sacrifice. That's what was happening in Gehenna. Gehenna was a site where the prophet Jeremiah proclaimed the Lord would judge and punish people. The site in the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, according to one of my sources, was a place where the bodies of enemies would be burned. And then in the New Testament, there's some discussion about this and, and some some. Um, some uh, controversy, but many sources say that at the time of Jesus, it was a site where, where you'd throw garbage. It was where, you, where you'd throw garbage. 
What we do know is Jesus used it, and what we do know is he used it as a metaphor of, of a place of, of judgment. And, and I don't think it's a stretch to say one of the things we, we glean from this passage is there are people who you could listen to who will convert you in Jesus' name or in God's name. They'll try to convert you, but what they convert you to isn't God-honoring. And it's taking you down a path you don't want to go. And we certainly see this true with religious people who are the bitter, angry, judgmental, the people who are all about judgment, no grace. Right? We see that, right? You listen to them, you're, you're going to become a child of, of Gehenna. You listen to them, you're going to be one of these people who are just, you forget that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You forget that there's forgiveness. You forget that you've been forgiven much. You forget these things if you're coached by these people. And they'll give you advice. Oh, yeah, they will. But it's going to be all judgment, no grace. And on the other side, just as dangerous. There's those who, in, in, in God's name, it's, it's all, well, God just loves you no matter what. And is that partially true? Yeah. But it's all grace, no truth. All grace, no holiness. All God loves you no matter what. No, but here's, here's the proper response to that grace. And that, too, can lead you to a place you don't want to go. So in your notes, I have a question under number three. Who are your most trusted advisors? Take a moment in your head. Think, who is it? When I want to know wisdom, when I'm seeking advice, who do I go to? Do you have wise, mature like people that you can go to. If not, I mean, I, one of the reasons we, we don't want you to become, get in a small group for the sake of being in a small group. One of the reasons, we want you to meet these other folks. There are wise, mature, God-honoring people here who would be so helpful to have speaking into your life. So get to know each other. All right, here's a, a summary verse from Proverbs on this idea of wisdom. Proverbs 13, 20 says this. <clears throat> Whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise, The companion of fools will suffer harm. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I love C.S. Lewis. He says this. The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. We grow wise when we walk with the wise. So who are your trusted advisors? All right, number four. Uh, so far we've talked about committing to a God-honoring life. Boy, it's so important. Applying biblical principles, so important. Seeking wisdom from mature, honest, Christ-like people. And then there's number four. Listen to your sanctified conscience. Conscience, I think most of us know what that is, that, that, that still small voice inside that says, this is right, this is wrong. Well, I put that qualifier in front of it, a word called sanctified. It's very Christianese, but it's a beautiful word. The word sanctified means to be made holy, to be made clean, to be, to be made fresh by the work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a sanctified conscience, if you're ignoring one through three, don't listen to your heart. The Word of God says the heart is deceitful among all things. If, if you're not doing one through three, don't just listen to what you think you should do. The Word of God says there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. But if you're applying one through three, the Scripture itself says your conscience is a reliable guide. 
Your conscience is a reliable guide. Here's, here's how it's, I love how it says it in the Amplified passage, but, they, but they're not taking anything out of context here. It says, And let the soul harmony, which comes from Christ, act as an umpire continually in your hearts. And, you know, for most of us, we're kind of like the replacement ref umpires. You know, we're not always going to get it right, but we're trying, right? So let, let the soul harmony, which comes from Christ, act as an umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds. If you are being diligent about the other disciplines, I want to tell you, you listen to your conscience. Don't do it in isolation. Don't do it without getting wise counsel. Don't do it without looking at the biblical principles. Don't do it without surrendering your life to God. But if you're doing those things, count that as one of your filters of whether or not it's from God. Now, these four are absolutely key. I want to add a number five. And number five is really about, well, what do you do with number five? What do you do if you're doing one through four and you're still not sure? What if you're doing one through four and it looks like you have multiple options to choose from? There's still things on the table. You've been able to narrow it down. Okay, don't do the axe murderer thing, but I don't know um, how to confront this person in a healthy god honoring way. So you get to number five. I, I, number five is default to Proverbs. This is one of my axioms I've been using for the last decade. When in doubt, if you're doing all those things, default to Proverbs. What I mean by that is Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Proverbs, I love Proverbs. Straightforward, hey, this is smart, this is not smart. Default to Proverbs. When in doubt, God gave us a mind. God gave us reason. God gave us all kinds of people who know all kinds of things. When in doubt, what is the wise thing to do? Well, one of the ones that I didn't put up here, some of you might be saying, well, what about the open, closed door thing? Frequently, when we're trying to discern, is something from God, is it not? Many of us, myself included, we pray, okay, God, open doors, closed doors. If this is of you, I'm, gonna walk, I'm taking this step. Close the door if it's not from you. Open the door if it is. The reason I didn't put that as a number six is because that's really a, a sign. And signs are dangerous if they're not being done in conjunction with all the rest. Right? Thank you for, I'm seeing a lot of nods. That's how people from a lot of our backgrounds say amen. You know? <laughs> we, we nod. <laughs> you know? Either one's okay. Um, the, the idea of, 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 I think it's important to ask for God to open and close doors, but here's the thing with, with signs and open and closed doors. Sometimes it might not be God opening the door. Sometimes it might be the adversary opening that door. Sometimes the door is not opening, but it will. God's saying, wait, the timing's not right. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes... That door, we're to pray that that door does open. I, I said this in the first hour you know, with Armando and Karen sitting here. If they would have closed the doors to the children's home every time it looked like we're out of money or the government's going to shut us down or it's just too tough, they would have closed 49 years ago, maybe 50 years ago. But they know they're supposed to do this. And so they continue to press on. And there are some times where the door looks closed, but we know we're supposed to press on and press on and press on until it either opens or we die or Jesus comes back. Sometimes that's the case. So, so I believe in open and closed doors. I believe it should be part of the whole process. We're all along. You're saying, God, I'm, I'm trying to move forward with you. Open the door if it's of you. Close the door. If it's not, that it's, it's one that kind of is integrated into the others. Okay, well, as we close this morning, I would imagine a number of you are, are, are thinking, come on, looking at this list. This is tough. 
Why in the world did God not give us like one of those magic eight balls when we get, when we get baptized, right? Where, remember the magic eight balls? How many remember the magic eight balls? Okay. They were, we got one snuck into our house, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, no, oh, this is evil and occultic. But anyway, what, what it was is um, where, where you had this big eight ball and there was this little viewing window and you'd, you'd ask it a question and you'd, you'd flip it around and, and then this thing would pop up, like ask later, right? You know, I hated that one, so you just, okay, I'm later. And anyway, not a good idea to play with those, but, 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 but one of the reasons it's not good to play with that is that's not how it works. And, and so many of us, we want to hear from God, and we think, well, God, why don't we get the magic eight ball? Well, one reason, we kind of mentioned this before, signs can be so easily misinterpreted. And if we look for the simple, quick, okay, God, if you want me to, 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 to do this thing I want to do when I open my eyes, have the lights still be on. Oh, that's good. All right, I'm good. You know, um, don't do that. The signs, you can, you can manipulate those. And I think that's one of the reasons. But the other reason is bigger, and that's where we're going to pick up next week. The other reason God doesn't, doesn't have us have a Christian magic eight ball or, or that type of thing is God wants to be with us throughout day and throughout our lives. He doesn't just want to be a, a go-to for, for advice. God created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God desires in those, those moments of terror, in those moments of loneliness, in, in those moments of indecision, what, what have you, God desires to let you know he's there. He's there. And God desires to, to empower you in moments where you, you just can't do it on your own. And, and God desires to, to give you clarity in, in the moment. And, and God desires to be able to, to, to respond. And, and God desires for you to what, again, a Christianese term, to abide in God's presence. So that's what we're going to pick up next week. Moving from beyond just, okay, how do you hear God's voice to now? What does it mean to really walk with God? That's where we'll go. A week from today, I hope you can make it back. Let's pray. Father, why don't you stand, please? Let's pray, and I'll pray a blessing to you as we go forth. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you give us what we need rather than what we want. And we thank you, Lord, that, that you have created and designed a universe that, that forces us, if we want to hear from you, to get to know you. There's no greater privilege than, than, than for the King of Kings to invite his created world to come to him as sons and daughters. Wow. So Lord, may we respond to that invitation. May we make this change from just wanting to hear advice to becoming your son, becoming your daughter, and walking with you. Bless us in that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.